Eric to introduce our speaker. We praise you, God. We worship you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I just went live. Thank you. We have a par excellence pastor, preacher, evangelist, brother, friend. I don't like to hold these. I got four pages. But anyway. go through this rapidly because we got one of the greatest preachers I know here today. I, one time I told Nancy, if I die, Stan Cosby is going to preach my funeral. That's how much I love him. Um, he's married to Susan. She's a wonderful soloist. They're at fir First Methodist twice. They came the first time for three years. He's a generalist. He can run a whole church, and if you spend too much time on one specialty, that becomes your strong point. And we, Stan and I talked about it, and he stayed three years. And then he left, and then he went and preached in Oklahoma City at First Church, I believe, and then Durant, and then came back to First Methodist, and he was the, one of the executive ministers. He supervised the staff, and I got to preach. We had a wonderful time at First Methodist. He, is, uh, uh, he has preached in Kentucky. He went to school at Asbury and got a, his preaching degree, his church-serving degree, he has a doctorate from ORU under uh, Dr. Stokes, Bishop Stokes. He has uh, 12 grandkids, one great-grandchild, 12 grandboys, and, and seven grandgirls, I believe. Uh, he's just one of the greatest guys I know. Stan preaches and heaven comes down. You're in for a treat. Would you welcome one of the finest preachers I've ever known? Thank you so much for that great welcome. Is this a Methodist church? Um, you took an offering and didn't pass the plates? I'm, I'm pretty sure you're not. Maybe I missed the plate. I don't know. Maybe it didn't come up. But anyway, I am really, really, really thrilled to be here. I thought of the, the psalmist David when he said, My pen is the pen of a ready writer. And my heart overflows with a goodly theme. And that really has been the way I have felt today. Dr. B, I won't say warned me, but encouraged me with these words. This is a shouting Methodist church. And I, I feel so right at home in a church like this. It's the church, really, of my ancestors. I had uh, preachers, Methodist preachers in my family for way back. And one of them was my fourth great-grandfather by the name of Jack Jones, John Washington Jones, but he went by Jack, and they called him Preacher Jack Jones, and he preached in the West Tennessee Conference. And he preached camp meeting. This is the spirit of revival. And this is a literally a true story that I read in a history book. He was preaching at camp meeting, and a lady on the front row really got the spirit and stood up and started dancing around and shouting and, and all the others were just encouraging her, praise God, sister, bless the Lord, you're being touched by the Lord, until she said the word snake. 
Then they all got religion and were jumping around and and all was just crazy until she finally realized, no, that was the sash of her bustle that had come untied. And the loose end was dangling against her leg. That's so. I tell that story to remind us Methodists who we once were. And I tell that story in the faith and believing of who we'll yet be again. A church of fire. A church of fire. You know, we have the fire. We really don't need to acquire the fire. We have the fire. Just look at our cross and flame symbol. But maybe we need to reclaim the flame. That's what I'm saying. Well, it's a great joy to be here. I I do look at... uh, Nancy and Dr. Buskirk, I still can't call him Jim. I don't know why. I just He's Dr. B or Dr. Buskirk. Nancy, I call Nancy, but uh, Dr. B has just been a spiritual mentor to me. And I will never forget there was a moment when I wanted him to baptize me because I felt that bond so strongly. So we met at their house there, and they had a swimming pool in the backyard, and it was in the fall of the year, and it was a little bit coolish. But not nearly as cool as the water we were baptized in. It was, the heater had gone out. And so it was really, really, really cold. You know how when they knight you in the field of battle and, and you take the oath of a, of a knight's templar and then they'll maybe kind of slap you or strike you so you'll remember? I'll never forget that baptism. <laughs> that was a jolt to the whole body. But it was a wonderful warming heart experience. My son and his wife and uh, son are here today. I'm wondering where they are. All right, I'm going to have them stand and embarrass them just as much as my... So here's my son, David. And his wife, Shelley, and then Colin, my grandson, their, their son. David is kind of a mini-me. I really can never deny him anywhere he goes or where I go and we're seen together uh, I'm reminded that uh, that he's he's a look-alike and I I feel sorry for him I pray for him but anyway he's a he's a great guy so I'm really really thrilled that they're here and I'm really thankful that Chris and his family you know kind of slipped in today and I think that's awesome and met some of them earlier today so what a blessing to be here in the house of the Lord. Jeff, you're a great brother. I mean, I'm excited about your seminary experience. You really. And Fabio, great youth pastor and these kids on fire for the Lord. It's, yeah, yeah, it's fantastic. Well, if you have your Bible or your cell phone, you version, please turn with me to Luke 15, Luke 15. I'm going to read verses 11 through 24, and I realize that Luke 15 is uh, a very familiar passage. It's the story of, it's the lost and found chapter of the Bible. There's the story of the lost sheep and how the Lord, the good shepherd, leaves the ninety and nine in the fold and goes to seek the one. Then you have the story of the lost coin and the woman who lights, for sentimental reasons really, lights a, a 
lamp and looks and searches and sweeps her house until she finds it. And then the story of the prodigal son. And this is one of these stories that I know you've heard sermons about, and it's one of those passages that, that when pressed down and shaken down, still remains full and overflowing, you know. So it still speaks to us, and I want to dare to believe that today you'll hear just this story, this familiar story, in a new and different, powerful way. So let's read that passage together. I think maybe we even have the, the text on the screen. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. So chapter 15 of Luke, beginning with verse 11. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want a share. I want my share. I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. So you see the older son got his inheritance at the same time the younger son did. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. I love the KJV, the far country, because some of us know what that is, where he wasted all of his money in wild living. About this time, his money ran out and a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields To feed the pigs, the lowest of the lowest job that an observant Jew would ever take on. Because, of course, swine is a defilement to the Orthodox. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding, the pigs, looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough and to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, His father saw him coming. And filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you and against heaven, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger, sandals for his feet. And kill the fatted calf. And we must celebrate with a feast. For this this son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. And that's when the party began. And that's the word of the Lord for the people of the Lord. Let's say it together. Thanks be to God. So what I'm going to do is to give you the four points of my sermon up front. And I know you have some lines there, and and they're not to remain blank. You're to write down a few things, engage a little bit with me, 
and write down the four points of the sermon because I'm going to give them to you just right up front. And they are four two-word phrases, two-word phrases, four of them, lifted from the text that I just read to you. So Roman number one is, I want. Roman numeral two is, I will. Roman numeral three is, will you? A question. And then Roman numeral number four is, I will. And not only am I going to elaborate now on each of those four points, but with each one I will give you a summary key word that identifies the sort of the content of that phrase. And uh, just to help as a mnemonic device, to help you remember, all four of those key words will begin with the letter R. See, this is easy. This isn't seminary. So let's talk about each one of those points. I want. That's what this young man said. I want my inheritance and I want it now. I want. And really that is the word of rebellion, is it not? So there's your first R word. Some of you are already writing. I'm impressed. Rebellion. The very heart of sin. The word itself, S-I-N, describes it as I at the center. I, 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 I want. Now what he wanted was really his by right. It's the inheritance. But how many of you know just because it's your right doesn't mean that it's right for you to appropriate it in the way that this young man did. He did it with a bad attitude He did it in the wrong way. The timing was all off. It was completely self-centered and self-driven. He wanted his inheritance and he wanted it now. So he took it. I want. Now every teenager, every human being, because I think all of us have been teenagers, you know, every one of us, really go through this R of rebellion to a certain extent. We're trying to find out who we are. We're trying to discover and establish an identity of ourselves apart from our parents. And so we do all kinds of nutty, crazy things. And often they're very self-centered and very self-serving. And it's all a matter of I want. And that's what really drove this young man. I want my inheritance and I want it now. And in my own life, there was a time when I just lived with this whole notion that, hey, the whole world really should revolve around me. It would be a lot better if it did. I know everything anyway as it is. I don't need to go to seminary. I am seminary. You know, I don't. And, and so you just think you're so smart and you think you're so cool and you think you don't need anyone. And that was me. I didn't need anyone. And really at this point in my life, I didn't even need God was all, I, 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 I want. I want. Now, I never went to the far country. I never did these kind of wild things that this younger son did. But how many of you have realized that in this story, there are two prodigals. The younger son who lives and goes literally to the far country, and the older son, the elder son, who stays, and yet he is just as 
estranged from his father's heart, though he's right there in the father's house. And that was really sort of me. I mean, I went to church every Sunday. I did all those kinds of things. I was known as just a real good Christian kid. But in my heart, you can be in the far country of the soul. And that's where I was as an elder brother. And it was rebellion, really. Rebellion. I want. I want. Well, when you get what you want, it's like the worst thing that can ever happen to you. Since when is what you want better than what you need? So he gets what he wants. You know. Like the people of Israel in the Old Testament, they prayed and cried out for food. And first of all, they get manna, angel's food. But that's not good enough. They want meat. And so God sends quail to fly in the camp. And they have more meat than they know what to do with. And the psalmist, in describing how they got what they want, describes it in such a painful, torturous way the, the meat literally came out their nostrils. I mean, when you get what you want, it is like really the last thing you want. Do you know something about this, Jeff? Do you know something that we all do? That far country of the soul where you get what you want... It's the most desperate place on the face of the planet and you find yourself in a pig pen of despair and hopelessness where you're longing even to... You're starving to death emotionally, mentally, spiritually. You're longing even to eat what the pigs eat. And this young man, to his credit, doesn't even eat the, feed, the food that belongs to them. He wanted to. But he was reputable in that sense. He was brought up well. And it's there in that pig pen where he was getting all that he wanted. First, of course, the money runs out. Then, of course, the friends run out, so-called friends. Because once they no longer can sap and suck everything from you, then they go to someone else, the bloodsuckers that they are. And you run out of money and you run out of friends and you find yourself... In a far country, in a pig pen, getting everything you want, but nothing of what you need. And it's at this very low point that this young man comes to himself. He has this epiphany, he has this revelation, he he sort of wakes up one morning, what in the heck am I doing here? Why am I here? I don't have to live like this. All I need to do is to go back home. Because I know home and I know my father and I know my father's house. And so then you have the second phrase that leaps from this passage. I will arise and go to my father. I will. From I want in the far country to I will return home and the young man's mind is made up and he begins that arduous journey miles and miles back home he's in rags he's without shoes he's starving to death and it takes that decision I he comes to himself I will arise and go back home 
Now he's speech rehearsing the whole way. He, he's trying to think, what am I going to say to my father? Because I, I know that this broke my father's heart. How do you speak to a, a father whose heart you've broken? What can I say? I, I'm no longer worthy even to be his son. Maybe he'll take me on as a hired servant. And he rehearsed and rehearsed his speech. And his speech just was fraught with the wild hope that somehow maybe, maybe, maybe his father would forgive him. His father would accept him. His father would take him and embrace him in his arms. And so it's not a statement, the phrase of this part of the story, but it is a question, will you? That's the third part. Will you? Will you forgive me? Will you accept me? Will you take me back in? Will you love me? Again. So the first phrase is, I want, and that's rebellion. The second phrase is, I will, realization. I, he comes to himself, I will arise and go to my father. But the speech he rehearses the whole way there is one of repentance. Will you? He's humbled. He's not demanding anything. Not like the I want that said, I want my inheritance and I want it now. But it's a question. Will you? Will you? Will you forgive me? And that's the question of repentance. Repentance is when we humble ourselves to the Lord. Repentance is when we realize how foolish we have been. And when we realize that it's not what we want that satisfies our soul, but it is everything that we need, and that alone satisfies our soul. So with realization then comes this spirit of repentance where he does a 180. He's in one direction, and now he turns, and he comes back home in repentance. Well, you know, what's the father been doing this whole time? (laughs) For the months that his son was away, I can imagine in my own mind how at the close of every day his father would come and stare into the horizon of the far country just hoping to catch a glimpse of his returning son. Every single day he stares into that distant horizon. And then there, of course, comes that day when he sees a shape Could it be? Is that him? Is that my son? And the longer he stares, he realizes, well, it's not exactly the way I remember him. He's not walking like... But you know the father knows his son. And this old man, and we don't really know how old he was, but we fancy that he was in his elder years... We do know that he makes and sets all kinds of Olympic records running to his son. He just picks up his robe and he, he starts running towards him. And the closer he comes, the more he realizes and his heart is about bursting out of his chest. And he, he throws his arms around him and the son begins to rehearse his speech, but he doesn't even let him finish. But he begins to call to his servants and say, bring a robe and And I think he took his own sandals off. (laughs) 
and gave him to his son. And the ring on his finger, the family ring, the signet ring, he takes off and places it on his son's. And all of this without saying a word to the son, and yet his actions are speaking louder than words. I will forgive. I will. And that's the R of redemption. I will forgive. You are my son. This my son was lost. He's found he was dead. Now he's alive. I want rebellion. I will realization. I will arise and go to my father. Will you? The question of repentance. And then finally, I will. The declaration of forgiveness, redemption. Well, Jim was telling you a little bit about uh, my grandchildren. And just yesterday, the count increased. Yeah, my, my first granddaughter, my first granddaughter, Kendall, and, and Jim and Nancy will remember Kendall, uh, gave birth to her second child, her first little boy. She has a little girl jersey that's uh, six years old, and now we have uh, Slade. Slade Ryan, uh, he was a whopper, seven pounds, 13 ounces. He, he was supposed to actually come tomorrow. They had scheduled a C-section for tomorrow, but he decided he wanted his birthday on his terms. I want, you know, that starts early. <laughs> so he was actually born yesterday. So that ups the total count of my grands to 15. Now, we've got some wonderful step-grands. I count them. So I actually have 12 grandchildren and three great-grands. So I am blessed and highly favored. And I'm going to tell you a story now about one of those little grandkids, a little granddaughter by the name of Tegan. And Tegan, yeah, there's some pictures of her. We didn't really put her in jail. Uh, that's kind of a, the gate to our hardware store in Headley, Texas. Let's take a look at some other pictures. Yeah, so she was Wonder Woman. She is Wonder Woman, you know. The Justice League couldn't make it without her. And there she is, and this is, she. do you recognize the selfie pose? Now, she got it a little bit wrong, but she had seen her older sisters do this number, you know. But she did her hand like this, which I thought was just darling. She's a precious, precious, smart, uh, just sweet, so beautiful. Here's a little, I hope we can, I hope we were able to download this little thing. This is church for her. She loves to dance. She's always moving. that awesome (laughs) so she is very smart she's uh, really sweet she's really precious but there are times when she's very challenging she has a few issues she is an over sensory 
That's why she can't stand still. Every sight, sound, every smell, everything just is an assault to her. We really kind of find that out when she went uh, with her nana, my wife Susan. We're nana and papa. And uh, she was with her nana, and they went through a car wash. And all of that stuff just, I mean, little Tegan just started screaming because it was just sensory overload. She can walk into like your children's department here and that they have all kinds of toys and different little places where they can play and centers and all of that. And she is so overwhelmed at the sight of that that she really can't decide where to go first. Most kids her age have the ability to decide, well, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. So there are times when her world becomes out of control for her and she cannot control her environment. So especially in new, unfamiliar settings, uh, she has to do everything she can to kind of control her environment. And so she's one of these that gathers all of her little toys and bunches them together. I mean, I've seen with her lying on her back sleeping with toys on her tummy, just within her control, right? So from time to time, then little Tegan will have night terrors. And if you've ever had a child that's had night terrors, you know a little bit about that. And so she was staying, this was about a year ago, she was staying with us and spending the night. Her mom and dad were there, her family. But in the middle of the night, she woke up, unfamiliar territory, situation, and she just starts screaming uncontrollably. And her mom is trying to quieten her down, and so they end up going to the bedroom. The master bedroom has a half bath, and that's where they decided to go. They'd go in the half bath, close the door. Maybe that could muffle some of the screaming. Uh, Nancy, my daughter, has passed off her baby boy, Baker, to me. I'm holding Baker, and little Tegan is still screaming back in the half bath. And finally, I nothing's working. So finally, I go back there, and I hand... Nancy, her mom, the little baby, Nancy takes the baby, goes into yonder, and I go into this half bath, and I cram my large pop-off frame, creaky frame, I might add, down on the floor, and I try to comfort her, I try to talk to her, at one point I become sort of firm with her, I try praying aloud, I try singing, and she's screaming, the whole time. She's just saying, go away, go away, go away. You want me to leave? No, 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 no. And sometimes it even sort of turns self-destructive and she'll start hitting her head against the wall. This is how dreadful it is. And everything I was trying that night just wasn't working. I, I tried the singing. I tried the praying. You know, I... I couldn't touch her. If I touched her, she would just, it would freak out all, she would freak out all the more. So finally, I just quit. I just stopped. I stayed in the room with her, but I just sat there. I didn't try to touch her. I didn't say anything to her. I didn't say anything. I just was there with her. For one hour, his absolute silence, except for her snubbing and grinding her little fist into her eyes. 
finally, after an hour, she gets up and she comes over to me and she says, Hold me, Papa. You want me to hold you? Peace. And I take that baby in my arms and I hold her and I rock her and I tell her over and over again how much she is loved and how I'll never let her go and I'll never leave her and I'll always be with her. Well, the next morning, she wakes up like nothing had happened. You know, Nancy, her mother and I, are we're sleep-deprived. We're trying to make it with our cups of coffee at the kitchen table. And Tegan is just as happy as she can be. She's playing all over the house. And then we hear her playing back there in that back bathroom. And then a little bit she comes in, and Nancy, her mom, says, Tegan, where have you been? And she said, in Papa's house. In Papa's house. Isn't that really the way of it? Where your small, cramped world of pain and fear and hurt is so overwhelming, so impossible to endure and survive, And yet when God, the creator of all things, crams himself down into your space of pain and hurt just to be there with you, doesn't that place forever become holy ground, Papa's house? Doesn't it? Because that was the place where in your pain and your hurt and your suffering, the Almighty Father held you all night long. We have a papa like that. We have a God that pours himself into your space of hurt and pain and suffering. Just there with you waiting you to come to him and say hold me papa peace let's pray now holy spirit now now holy spirit work in our hearts to draw us to you Work in our hearts, Lord, to bring us in a moment of realization that now is the time and today is the day of salvation. Work in our hearts, Lord, even now. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.